Welcome to Science's Soundwaves. I'm Ishtanetra Siva and I will be your host for today. The COVID-19 pandemic has impacted every part of our lives. Yet, even so, scientists and healthcare professionals have relentlessly persevered with their efforts to mitigate the damage that is a result of the pandemic. One rising area of research that is being employed during this situation is computational biology and modeling. There have been many advancements in this field relating to proteomics during the pandemic, including DeepMind's artificial intelligence program solving the problem of protein folding. Today, we are eager to invite Ms. Natalia Teruel, currently a graduate student at the University of Montreal. In today's episode, Ms. Teruel will be discussing with us the intersection of technology and pharmacology, COVID-19 variants, and the importance of scientific communication. Ms. Teruel's research is focused on protein engineering, particularly by harnessing the power of computational modeling. Welcome to Scientist Sandwaves, Ms. Teruel. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for the invite. One of your research papers focused on modeling the dynamic properties of the SARS-CoV-2 spikes and their variants. It was mentioned that understanding and researching about this topic could potentially lead to advancements in therapeutics. How could this be accomplished? This is a great question. The spike protein, just to be clear to everybody, are the crowns um, around the virus, the virus capsule, and they are necessary to, to connect, to anchor, to host cells and allow the infection, the infection process. So they are very important proteins to study for many reasons for to understand actually the, the viral entry, but also to understand how we can prevent the viral entry. So our antibodies, both the, the natural antibodies after infection and the antibodies stimulated by vaccines, they target these specific proteins. Or maybe if we are trying to create a, an antiviral, these antiviral would, prob would probably bind to these proteins and prevent them to binding to our cells. So these are very important structures for us to understand exactly how they work. Our last study on it was based on really understanding not only how it works, but how it moves. So the dynamic of the protein, because when we think about proteins, especially because of how they are represented, like in drawings or images, we think of them as static structures and they are not, they change, they move a lot. And for the, the spike protein specifically, this movement is necessary to allow the spike to connect to our cells. And therefore it's, it's a very important movement for the infection process. So by, for example, preventing this movement with a drug, an antiviral or something like that, we could maybe make the virus less infective, for example. Or when we are talking about vi variants, we see that several of the mutations that are very important in the new variants are associated with uh, allowing this protein to move more in the way that makes it proper for infection. So, so this is a very important way of understanding it. And by understanding it, creating ways to avoid infection, like therapeutic ways, like pharmacological ways through vaccines. For example, we, if we are talking about new variants, we really need to understand which parts of the protein are not mutating enough, therefore would be better epitopes, better sites for us to target with antibodies from vaccines. Otherwise, maybe vaccines become outdated. So, so this is, is kind of what we are trying to achieve with these types of works. Thank you, Miss. That was really interesting. And continuing on from the same paper, a group of methods known as normal modes analysis was mentioned. What exactly are these methods and what are their benefits or restrictions? 
Okay, so when we are trying to evaluate proteins on a computational level, computational evaluation is pretty interesting and it's um, provide us great advancements in scientific research because it allows us to research things using less money, less human resources, less infrastructure, less um, regions. So all of those infrastructure uh, problems can be like they serve as roadblocks for some specific researches that we can avoid by using computational methods. Uh, but some computational methods to, to evaluate proteins are extremely computationally costly. So you would need like a, a very strong, big server to evaluate it. And you would, it would take a long time and a lot of computational power to evaluate like only one mutation of, of the spike protein, for example. Uh, so what normal modes allow us to do is to evaluate it being, using a, a less computationally costly method. So it is a, a simplification method in which every amino acid of the protein, we, con we consider it a point mass, and we consider that every pair of point masses is connected by a spring. And these strength of the spring is, is uh, varies according to the type of the amino acid, according to how distant two amino acids are, and the surface of contact between them. And like that, we can easily address how the protein moves in a less specific uh, and reliable way than other more computationally costly methods, but we can do it large scale for us to really uh, try to, to address like thousands of possible mutations that was what, which was what we did. So um, these, these are the, the advantages of it, like it is a more simplified but less computationally costly method. Thank you, Natalia. And leading on from our discussion about mutations, with the coronavirus pandemic now ravaging our society, we've seen numerous strains of the virus, some more infectious and deadly than others. What are the factors impacting virus mutation and adaptation? So for the virus, to, for a new, a new mutation occurs randomly, but every time the RNA of the virus is, is copied again, there is a very small chance that this copying process does not occur perfectly well, and then a mutation occurs. They are very, very rare, but since this uh, pandemic specifically is a pandemic, right? So it is affecting many people. It is, uh, is uh, we have many, many cases, it's affecting more people. Therefore, the, this RNA is being copied more, and this very small random chance of, of a, a miscopy is being amplified because of the amount of people um, who are carrying the virus. So um, when it happens, it usually is not a, a good mutation. Nature is pretty smart already. So the virus is already in a pretty, uh, in a pretty good shape. So for, for a mutation to occur randomly and be a good mutation for the virus and therefore bad for us, it is pretty rare, but we are seeing it happening and we are seeing some mutations being selected. And the selection part for a, for a mutation, so a strain that is well succeeded, epidemiologically speaking, is a mutation that gives some advantages for the virus. And these advantages can be seen in some different aspects. So one of these aspects is the conformational part that I mentioned, the dynamic part. So some mutations allow the virus to stay in one shape of it for more time, for a longer time. And this specific shape is the shape needed for, to allow infection. So this is one reason that we saw a lot, specifically during the first new strains, new variants. For example, the main mutation of the UK variant, now called Alpha, the South African variant, now called, called Beta, and the Brazilian variant, now, now called uh, um, Gamma. 
So for these variants, the main mutation was a mutation that allowed the open state to the protein to be in its in its open state for longer, and therefore um, became or the virus became more transmissible. Another thing to take into consideration is how strongly the virus is able to bind to our cells. So the, the interface of binding specifically, how the, these residues interact with each other, the residues for, from our receptor, ACE2, and the residues from spike. So some mutations can allow these, these interactions to be stronger, which is also the case for some of the mutations that were selected in this big new variant. And then the third big reason for some variants to, to be more dangerous and selected. Currently, uh, this is probably the main reason why new variants are being selected, is about allowing immune escape. So when people had um, COVID or when people were vaccinated, um, the vaccines were produced based on the original version of the virus. And what are, for example, for RNA vaccines, then our body will produce these proteins, these spike proteins, and our body will learn how to identify these spike proteins. And therefore, if we get in contact with the virus, our immune system will be trained already because we will have these antibodies. But these antibodies learned to recognize the original version of the virus. So if some parts that are very important for um, antibody recognition change due to mutation, these mutations will probably be very, very much selected specifically in groups of people that are already immunized so or vaccinated. So one of the main reasons why we realized that this third type of, of mutation was happening was in Brazil, in Manaus, because the population of Manaus was estimated to, like a very large percentage of the population was estimated to have had contact with the virus already. And in the end of the year, we had like a very bad wave and suddenly everybody was sick again and the hospitals were full again even though it was estimated that many people should already have antibodies. And it, it was because of the, the Brazilian variant that contained one specific mutation that allowed antibody escape, immune recognition escape. So this is the main reason for the new variants. And I believe that this, is, this should be the biggest concern right now about mutations, because we really don't want to, to see all the efforts for vaccine development and vaccination, like the logistics of, of applying vaccine and distributing vaccine to be outdated by the virus evolution. So we really should take care of it. We really should sequence people that, that have confirmed cases to, to the virus of these people to, to really understand outbreaks, to control outbreaks, to not let these, these new variants just spread around and, and cause the, this amount of trouble. That is certainly true, Natalia. And since we're on the discussion of vaccines, to what degree can the mutations of viruses impact the ability of current healthcare resources and inventions, such as vaccines and drugs, to combat these diseases like COVID-19? Um, yeah, so we really need to keep an eye on it because uh, for now, the variants that we have already mapped, apparently they do not make any of the current approved vaccines inefficient, but some of them are, are being studied to, uh, some, some new variants can, at some extent, according to some recent results, 
decrease the efficacy of the vaccines. So if the efficacy of the, the vaccines was like 90%, maybe now they are, uh, they are a bit less. And this is especially problematic when we are talking about vaccines that already did not have such a high efficacy. So some vaccines that had like 60%, 50% of efficacy. So, so maybe these, these vaccines can be outdated by, by variants. For now, the new variants that we currently have apparently do not make any vaccine worthless. Uh, to say, say like in, in a simple way, all of the vaccines are still extremely relevant. However, we are seeing new variants appear and be successful kind of every month. So we really should take into consideration that it is possible for new variants to overcome vaccination immunity and we should prevented as much as we can and we should definitely study updated vaccines and really establish a vaccination program that could maybe be done every year from now on or something like that like all of, all of those things are still speculations none of it uh, is proven like we don't know for sure that i don't know next year we will need a new vaccine or something like that but it is important for us to consider this possibility so science can try to evolve faster than the virus is evolved. That was intriguing. Thank you, Natalia. I also understand that you're a passionate advocate for scientific communication. So during a situation such as the COVID-19 pandemic, what are the primary barriers to effective scientific communication? I believe that the pandemic showed us all how important science communication is and how we were not doing it well, we meaning the scientific community. Um, I believe that it is about time for us to understand that, that the science community, the academia, the universities need to communicate better with, with society for many, many reasons. Um, one of them being the fact that a big part of the, the research in the world is paid by taxpayers. So we really should be addressing these people to defend and explain and make it accessible to them what we are doing. And now more than ever, we realized how important it is because if we develop things, if we study things, if we try to raise awareness about such a, a relevant disease, such as COVID, and people are not listening to us, it's because we fail to create an honest communication with them during the past several decades. So we should create this, this channel of communication before this channel of communication is extremely needed. Um, so I believe that everybody in the science community realize it now that since many um, fake news are spreading around and many and the anti-vax movement is, is growing. So we, we should address these issues before they become such big issues. We should create this path of communication. We should have had created this path of, of communication much earlier than during the pandemic. Yes, that is certainly true. And on an individual and societal level, are there any potential steps that we can take to promote effective and accurate scientific communication? I believe that everybody in the scientific community should understand that they need to create this, this channel of communication. But I also think that it is important like as research institutions for us not to leave it only in the hands of science scientists as if it was an individual responsibility. Um, so it would make much more sense for every big research institution, for example, to have like a committee or, or, or a department of people who are 
better at communicating maybe than every scientist. Many scientists are not that good at communicating. So maybe we could use some help of people that are, are experts on communication, on marketing, on digital communication specifically for us to, to be able to talk in a better way, in a more attractive manner, in a more simple manner to everybody and to do it properly, to do it in a, an attractive way. So I believe that many institutions are already taking this path and creating communities and commissions and groups of people to specifically work on science communication. But I think it should be way more spread mainly throughout the world because like these specific initiatives we are seeing that are more organized and stuff like that are still very, very focused, very centered in some specific uh, continents and countries. And it should be more spread throughout the world for sure. That is some wonderful advice. And thank you so much for joining us, Ms. Natalia Teruel. It's been wonderful having you on our podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's always very important to try to do this science communication, right? To try to explain to people what we as a, as, uh, as a scientific community, what we are doing and how we are trying to prevent the, the next waves and the next steps of the pandemic and how people should be aware of it. So, so like it, it is a very important topic for us to discuss with everybody. So thank you very much for giving me the space to do it. Thank you so much. And to the audience, if you would like to ask us a question about today's podcast or would like to offer your expertise and join us as a guest speaker, please email us at the link in the description box. Thank you for supporting our new podcast and we hope you've enjoyed listening to today's session. Stay safe and see you soon.